Hello and welcome to the Going Up Cast, your weekly feel-good podcast with reviews on the new Lion King movie. I talk about the latest Adventure Zone graphic novel and a whole lot more. I'm your host, Andrew Logan, and let's dive right into it. That's right, this week we've got a ton of stuff. I talk about that Lion King remake, what done they put in theaters. I read that graphic novel cover to cover. I finally went skydiving. That's probably, I probably should have led with that. That's probably like the real big thing. I went skydiving. There's a video of it on goingcast.com. You can go take a look at it right now. Um, you watch me, watch me fall out of an airplane. It's, it's real cool. But if you like the Going Up Cast and want to see me do more dumb shit like falling out of airplanes, then you can feel free to support the Going Cast by going to patreon.com forward slash going up cast. You can become a $5 patron, get access to that monthly live stream, and you'll, you'll, you know, fund my, my idiotic adventures of skydiving and para jumping and jump a sailing and sail a hooping and whatever else the world has to offer. Um, it's uh, it's gonna be a great episode. It's episode sixty. I've done sixty of these. Christ, we've been around a while, more than a year. Um, if numerically that adds up, should should do. It's more than a year. Episode sixty. Well, that's exciting. And to make it even more exciting, we've got a nice long episode for you. And I will not waste any more of your time. I instead I will waste an hour of your time while we talk about some fun stuff. Let's go. Many moons ago, I talked about a graphic novel inspired by a podcast that was created by four adorable nitwits whom I and the rest of the world have fallen deeply, deeply in love with. And that is the Adventure Zone graphic novel book two has just hit store shelves last week. It's called Murder on the Rockport Limited, which was probably my favorite arc in the original Adventure Zone um, balance podcast journey. Had the incredible character of Jenkins. Great moments in this arc. The whole story is translated beautifully to graphic novel. I love the art. If you pay attention to some of those um, background characters and scenes, there's lots of great in-jokes. The inclusion of the Griffin DM character within this graphic novel is a lot less present than he was in the first one. Um, which is totally fine. Even if I'm like, Griffin's my favorite character. And people are like, how does that make any sense? Like the interactions they have with their, with their God, um, character in the graphic novel are very entertaining. And as I mentioned last time we spoke about this, having the benefit of knowing the entire story before writing this is doing it a wonderful service. There are so many great nods to what's coming down the line that as a as a fervent fan of the balance arc being able to be like oh man i know exactly what's going on i know what this is all setting up it's it's delectable um the book is fantastic naturally all i want to do is listen to the balance arc and fucking read more of these graphic novels because they are just superbly well done um that being said i don't have much graphic novel experience um the adventure zone graphic novel is like the first time i've ever eagerly anticipated the next volume i just you know i'm such a big fan and it's very well done so i would recommend it i think my favorite bit in this whole second book is the you know what it actually you know what my favorite part is is the growing companionship between taco merle and magnus in the graphic novel they like the the crew to me didn't really meld until pedals to the metal 
um, when like they were like working together in the, in the car and they finally felt like a coherent team and it wasn't just like these three characters it was these three friends but in the graphic novel the, like the the facial expressions and the the severity of what they're doing has like gravity to it you know like doing a dumb stunt in D&D when there's no real like threat it's like whatever fuck it it's fine i'll just do this cool guy thing and then you roll and see what happens but from the perspective of the characters Magnus going outside the train with the rope with levitating boots like they were worried to, like Merle and Taco were worried and Magnus was concerned and there's there's levels of of emotion going on there they're concerned about their friend and they're realizing they're concerned about their friend and all these other variables and all that stuff that while it was like awesome in the podcast and we're all sitting there going like this is some dope ass shit I don't think it ever really came across that it was like, oh, if you fuck this up, you'll die. But it really does carry in the graphic novel. Now, I know what happens. So some of these these threat factors are are removed, but seeing the the character's growing relationship um in this story is is awesome. There are certainly elements that don't translate well to the written medium from the podcast like one of my favorite scenes in the entire thing is when they're making fun of Jenkinson's voice that's a classic scene it's not in the book because it doesn't translate but while they have to cut some things out for stuff like that they add in so much more to the graphic novel like uh their first sleeping arrangements are are present in this um in this uh graphic novel issue and it's like a communal bunk bed type scenario and I love that scene. It's like the end of the book. And Magnus is like upset that nobody really noticed or cared what they did. And Taco has this beautiful moment where he hears Magnus talking in his sleep. And Taco's like, don't worry, buddy. They noticed and stuff like that. And then it cuts to the red cloaks who are like this ever-present thing. And he's like, ooh. And Lucretia reacting to the presence of the Umbra staff was delicious. I loved that. I loved um, Killian and Avi. Um, doing all their cool carry fang bat, like uh, having all these classic characters being around. The introduction of fucking Angus McDonald was price like God. Everybody loves Angus. Ango is is the fucking greatest. It is very well done. Has this beautiful separation between. And and when you listen to the Adventure Zone podcast, it's difficult to separate the characters from the performers. You know, like when I hear Taco, it's just Justin goofballing around. And then later on, it becomes a bit more of a thing. But even then, like, when Taco's character is really fleshed out in the podcast, it's still, you know, it's still the McElroy's. But in the graphic novel, you can actually have that separation. I hear Taco's voice, but I'm not thinking about Justin McElroy. I'm thinking about Taco, the character. What Taco cares about. How Taco thinks about things. And how everything fits into there. And, like, Magnus, when, um, there's this bit where they're getting changed for um like the the rockport limited adventure and magnus is just fucking jacked and it's like i never thought about that um part of the character before but that makes a total sense because he's a huge big old fighter so he would be in really good shape and it's like it's just it's small stuff like that and how merle is adorable he's just a little puffball he's just fantastic it's it's very well done and i love having this alternate concept of 
of what these characters really represent. And I know they said, like, these are not the, the like, end-all, be-all designs of these characters and all that fun stuff, but works for me. <laughs> like, these are now my mental images of what the characters look like. Um, I've seen countless bits of fan art for this whole thing. Um, I've, I've been listening to The Adventure Zone uh, before, like, I hopped on right before they, they started the um, uh, story of or day of story and song arc, like the last arc in the balance, as when I hopped on, and it's been it's been quite a ride, and I can't wait for the next one, Adventure Zone, um, pedals to the metal, is what that one's all about, and that one should be a ton of fun. But as always, go check out the graphic novel Adventure Zone, now available on Amazon. You can get a cool version of it at Barnes and Noble, and check out uh, the McElroys and all their fucking fantastic podcasts because they do some real good shit. Real good shit. Anyway, let's move on to the next thing in my podcast. Another week, another batch of fantastic Harry Potter chapters. We've got Chapel 13, the Muggleborn Registration Commission. Chapter 14, the Thief. And Chapter 15, Goblin's Revenge. Green Goblin's back to kill Spider-Man and take his revenge. Now it actually deals with something that's way less interesting. Anyway, the highlight from this week comes to us from Chapter 15, The Goblin's Revenge. And just like most of my highlights for Book 7, it really does like to fixate on how little I care about Harry Potter anymore. Let's take a listen. Chapter gives a fuck. Goblin's Revenge. Early the next morning before the other two were awake, Harry left the tent in search of the woods around them for the oldest, most gnarled, resilient-looking dude who gives a shit-ass tree he could find. There in the shadow, he buried Mad-Eye Moody's eye and marked the spot by gouging a small cross in the bark with his wand. Oh, more religious iconography. Hey, that's fine. I don't know why wizards would believe in the power of the cross, Christian symbol, heathen god... I don't... Surely it should have been like a picture of a wand or... I don't know. MDM. Mad, mad, mad eye. No, M-E-M. Meme. Meme. Mem? I don't know. Fuck it. Whatever. Three brand new chapters of Harry Potter and the shit dick arrive every Wednesday, late at night, or late in the afternoon, or sometimes even Thursday. Um, but hopefully on a Wednesday, you'll get some chapters. Anyway, let's move on to the next thing in the podcast. After weeks of planning and rescheduling and hype building, I have finally fallen out of an airplane, and I'm ready to tell you all about it. So, as of recording this, it was yesterday. Went skydiving at sunset, which was pretty cool. Um, uh, they did film the, the whole thing, but I don't have the footage yet. But, at like, I'm recording this, I don't have the footage. However, when I do get the footage, a video will appear... On the website, goingcast.com, most likely in the blog area, there will be a video um, that you can watch and enjoy my skydiving adventure. But before that, let's just, I'm just going to kind of go through how the whole thing went down. So the skydiving place is in a town in Washington called Snohomish, which is uh, predominantly agricultural driven. Uh, A lot of farms out in that neck of the world. There was a carnival slash circus thing going on that I drove past that looked like a ton of fun. 
and the airport had this uh, restaurant on the premises called the Buzz Inn, which is delightfully punful. And we went to the uh, actual place, signed in, paid the you know the money to do the the extra tall skydive and the film the whole thing because I'm like you know if I'm gonna do this I'm gonna do it right and that's basically what it did. We then watched like a 15 minute video and I've seen a lot of like hi my name's Troy McClure you might remember me you know like those kind of promo videos DNA and what it means to you. Um, stuff. I've seen a lot of those in my day. Uh, this is one of the better ones. It had just the right amount of goofy charm. Um, but at the same time, it also was a little stupid. So, you know, there you go. Um, now, skydiving's like the thing, right? Like, there's not many other more dangerous tasks someone can do besides falling out of an airplane. And while I appreciate the fact that the training did not take a long time, I feel like it should, you know? It was a 15 minute video followed by maybe a minute to two minutes of like physical stuff and then that's it. And I was just like, okay. Like when I got my fucking scuba diving license, I had, you know, I went through, here's how the BC unit works. Then we did like a day in the pool, like getting used to the equipment and stuff like that. Like that's way more involved. And I would argue a lot less dangerous to skydive, or a lot less dangerous to scuba dive than skydive, but the training for scuba diving is way more intensive. So, you know, on one side, it's great that anyone can just kind of roll up and be like, yeah, whatever, fuck it, let's just, oh, shut up, computer. Um, anyone can roll up and just be like, let's just, let's skydive, let's do it. Um, and when, when you're scuba diving, it's like, you gotta go through, like, training and stuff uh, before they'll just, like, let you do that. Um, at least I think so. Maybe there's a company out there where it's like, it gives you like the nitty gritty and just throws you in the water, but I got certified, so I don't fucking, I don't know. Anyway, so you see the video, and it uh, teaches you the two techniques you're going to need in order to skydive successfully. The arch, like you've seen the pe people with like their, their arms out 90 degrees akimbo, and their like legs are up, like that is the, the position. That is like, it's the most stable position, I guess, for the actual falling through the air. So they make you do that. And then you got to keep your feet up uh, like uh, when you're getting off like a ski lift for the landing part. So watch the video. We do the training. We go get our uh, windsuits, uh, jumpsuits, basically cover the whole body, uh, head to toe, that kind of stuff. Uh, there was also a helmet. And thankfully, they had huge goggles that could fit over my sunglasses so I could actually see reasonably well, which was which was great. I, I very much enjoyed that. That is one thing I was never able to do when scuba diving um, was be able to basically see. Granted, underwater, you know, you're not going to see much anyway, but at least especially in this part of the world uh, when you're diving in the Puget Sound and it's basically dark and green. Um, but, you know, in skydiving, I kind of wanted to be able to see things. So... I'm windsuited up. I met my, my tandem dude whose name was Vlad. He was filming pretty much the whole time leading up to it, asking me like how I'm feeling and why I'm doing this and stuff like that. And me and my me and my coworker were just hanging out and then um before I knew it, we're just getting on the plane. Everybody everyone's on the plane. I've got my harness on, um, which is also reminiscent of scuba diving. It's cutting into my thighs like something fierce, but you know, I'm just like that's probably how it's supposed to go. And we're getting on the plane. Plane was super small, which makes sense. There were no seats on the plane. Instead, they had cored out the center of the plane 
and it uh, had basically some like fuzzy carpet on the ground. And what is the, but the deal is, is like your dude, your, your tandem dude will sit down and then you scoot up between his legs. So you guys are like back to belly basically, um, or ass to crotch, depending on your perspective. And, uh, throughout the flight, uh, he was like readjusting my, my harness and connecting us up and doing all that stuff. And, uh, filming out the window to get things like the sunset. I could see like Seattle and Bellevue, Rainier, Baker, um, I could see, I could see all the mountains. I could see the San Juan Islands. It was, it was a gorgeous flight. The angle of ascent was about 45 to 50 degrees, like pretty fucking steep. Like we were, we were ascending rapidly. We re-reached jump altitude, um, after about 10 minutes of flight. And I must, I must be honest because I hadn't done it. That flight was the most stressful flight I've ever been on because it's getting higher and higher. Like my hands are getting sweaty thinking about it. And I wasn't really thinking about it at the time. Cause I was just like, I was taking deep calming breaths. Cause I didn't know what the fuck was really going to happen. I didn't know how it was going to feel. So I'm terrified by the unknown and it's climbing and climbing and the ground is getting further and further away. And all of a sudden it's like kind of fuzzy because there's clouds in between you and you're just like, Oh my God, what am I doing up here? This is so stupid. But <sighs> You're all strapped in. The plane did not level out like I thought it was going to. Instead, it was just kind of at an angle and it was just like, all right, time to go. And the first two uh, people we were jumping with are just like, I like blinked and they were gone. And all of a sudden it was my turn and I was like, I'm scooting up. And what they make you do is you sit in the doorway of the plane. And the idea is that you got to keep your heels like up behind you. So basically your heels are touching the underside of the plane. The thickness of the floor of the plane was maybe two to three inches, depending, uh, based on the angle my legs were to keep my ankles up. And I'm just sitting there on the edge of the plane. The wind is howling and I'm just like, oh God. And then like Vlad just kind of leans forward and that's it. And we're gone. And I'm holding on to, um, not on the windsuit. There are like these handles that you're gripping and I'm holding on to them and you just kind of fall. And it's. It's difficult to describe, which I, I cannot appreciate. Like, um, everyone I've spoke to that skydived, um, before me, like they all kind of struggled to put it into words. So I'm going to, I'm going to do my best to do that for you guys, because it's, it's something that I feel like wasn't it. it I feel like I can explain it. So you tilt out of the plane, which is your last semblance of normalcy in understanding where you are located on the planet. You have a firm basis of grounding when you're in the plane. And when you're no longer in the plane, for the first time in my life, I lost sense of gravity and where I was in the world. Like physically. Like the dude strapped to your back does not help you mentally comprehend what's happening to you. It's you're you're falling. And some people describe it like flying. It's not. You're falling. <laughs> it is the continuous feeling of falling. With no sense of where you are in proportion to the ground. So imagine that if you're like standing on the floor or sitting in a chair or driving your car or whatever. Just imagine that was gone. There was nothing around you to physically make contact with for you to get like... A sense of where you are 
you're just alone in the sky. The wind is rushing so much harder and so much faster than I have ever felt before. My ears popped constantly. Like, if I try to equalize the pressure now, the air just kind of blows out of my ears. Um, I can hear fine, but, you know, it's just like my ears need a little bit of time to heal. So, be warned for that. If you have any kind of sinus issues, this is probably not a good thing for you to do. Um, and the amount of time you're falling is absolutely long enough for you to realize you're falling, react to that, and continue to fall. Um, it is... There's a, there's, a, there's a fair amount of uh, uh, screaming, for sure. Um, and it was disorienting. Pretty cool. I mean, the, the, the view was spectacular. Um, the islands and the water all at sunset, all glowing beautifully. The trees, the mountains, it was all fantastic. And you're just... You're just plummeting. And, um... It's, it is kind of this, like, you know, when a roller coaster goes over the edge and you got that kind of weightless uh, feeling in your gut before it comes rocketing back down. I think like most things, that feeling is best experienced in that brief bit of time. So I think if you are going to go skydiving and you want to give it a shot and you've never done it before, try the lower height first. Because I think I probably would have enjoyed that a little bit more. Um, because then I wouldn't have been as terrified for as long. Um, I still enjoyed it and I'm glad I did it. But I probably would have jumped from the shorter altitude. And just like... The, the ratio between parachuting time and free falling time would have been more equal. Um, that being said, once the parachute opened. And I could take a minute. And I wasn't plummeting to my death. And the goggles came off and the suit was a little looser and I could just kind of sit and look around. That bit was priceless. That was worth the price of admission because the like you have time to take it in. You can talk to your dude. I even got to uh, like drive the parachute a little bit, um, which takes a lot more strength than I thought. Like I'm just like, gen like gently tilting it from one side to the other. But you really got to kind of go for it. Put your hand like down below your hip in order to get that motherfucker to turn. Um, I will say this for parachuting before I went skydiving, I'd never done parachuting either, but I played a virtual reality game called blood and truth or blood and tears or whatever. The, the London heist game I've been telling you guys about. Um, and the end of that game ends with a parachuting section. Like you, you explode out of a plane and you parachute. Um, the only fucking difference between actually parachuting and parachuting in VR is the lack of wind, uh, reality's clearer than it is in VR, and VR takes less strength to move the parachute. Otherwise, it's like one-to-one. -one. So if you don't want to physically parachute or skydive, I will tell you that in virtual reality, they basically nailed the experience of parachuting. Because when you're parachuting, the harness really does feel like a seat. So get a seat where your feet can't touch the ground, hook up a fan to blow on your face, and then get in virtual reality and go parachuting. It's basically the same. I can I can say that. I've experienced both sides of the reality of parachuting, and it's basically the same thing. So parachute at home in the comfort. Now my next thing I want to do is I want to go to iFly, the indoor skydiving joint. 
since I've physically gone skydiving, if I could come back and tell you guys that for a fraction of the cost, you can experience basically the same shit as actually skydiving in a indoor space, I'm gonna fucking do it. So, granted, there are elements of skydiving that you cannot get anywhere else, like the flight up and the, the view, I would say, which is probably the best part of skydiving, is how much of the world you can see and see it from an angle that very, very few people have ever seen. So that cannot be replicated anywhere. And not even virtual reality. It's not the same. Parachuting was a ton of fun. And then before I knew it, we were rocketing to the to the earth. Again, a lot faster than I would have thought we would. But we landed and it wasn't like a huge long skid. It's like you hit the ground and bam, you're done. It's like boop. And you like slide in like maybe a foot. And you're just, that's it. It's over. And, you know, you get up and you take the harness off and you take the windsuit off and you did it. You skydived. And it was very cool. I'm very glad I did it. As I've mentioned before, in my list of like adrenaline driving activities that this world can offer, um, skydiving was always kind of like the ultimate one, you know? Everything else beyond that, it's just like not even a big deal bungee jumping, paragliding, not a problem at all. And honestly, like, um, parasailing or whatever, like there's a place, uh, out in, uh, Issaquah, um, called Poo Poo Point where people will like run off the top of the mountain with their parachutes and then just kind of gently glide back down to earth. Like, fuck, that sounds great. You telling me I can just do the parachuting bit and I don't have to do the skydiving bit? Done. Let's do it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it was eye-opening. It was absolutely an experience. A um, couple of things that I should mention that probably nobody else is ever going to tell you about skydiving. One, your ears are going to hurt like a son of a bitch. Uh, so I'm not sure if earplugs will help, but they might. So it you know, might be worth investing in some earplugs. Two, make sure the harness is set up correctly. There are cushions all over that harness and they've got to be put in the right locations. All right, this is not a time for you to be like, oh, this isn't, it's a little too tight, but I shouldn't say anything. Say something, okay? This is this is like life or death we're talking about here, all right? I had the harness cut into my thighs like a motherfucker, um, and I thought I was going to be bruised up to the nines when I got back, but I'm fine. It's just like it really dug into my meat thighs, and oh, it hurt. So fucking, you know, say say a thing. Um, God, what else? Uh, the wind is going to be a lot saltier than you think, but that might be because I'm in like more of a marine environment, but... The best way I can describe the feel of the wind is if you've ever stood on like the deck of a ferry um, out in the water. Just like the speed of the wind and the saltiness of the air. That's pretty much what it feels like um, when you're skydiving. Uh, just picture that and then fall over and then you got skydiving. Um, God, what else? What else is crucial to know? Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not so sure. Take deep calming breaths. Uh, do not drink beforehand. Um, I don't know what the alcohol would do in your blood at that altitude, but probably not good things. God, yeah, it was um, it was something pretty indescribable. But I hope I did the best. I did the best I could in describing it, the various elements and how it all feels. Um, and hey, if that sounds like your cup of tea, Snohomish skydive. They they, you know, I'm alive, which is probably the greatest review I could give a skydiving organization is that they didn't kill me. So, 10 out of 10. <laughs> I'm, I may...
hey, skydive again. Definitely from like the lower altitude. Probably don't need to film it again. I'm sure the first time will be infinitely more interesting to watch than the second time. Um, but now that I've done that, I mean, next thing on the list would be bungee jumping. But I mean, after skydiving, pfft, that's like fucking nothing, you know? Um, it'll be a lot shorter than skydiving, like the actual amount of free falling. Um, that should be that should be a cakewalk in comparison. But I owed you guys a description of skydiving. It has now been done. Keep your eyes on GoingCast.com over the next couple of days. I'm hoping to get the footage of the actual jump sometime today. Um, and then I can start working my editing magic. Maybe put a song or two up there. You know, just have some fun with it. Um, and yeah, let us move on to the next thing in the podcast. do this often because I don't often have like something really to talk about but I recently got myself a new cellular telephone um just kind of well I did it with a purpose basically I use my phone for music like pretty much everybody does and my old phone's headphone jack decided to shit the bucket and that's pretty much like that's it like that phone's dead um 100% because it's like I cannot have a phone that does not have a working headphone jack I don't like Bluetooth headphones um, I'm a little gun shy when it comes to Bluetooth because the last time I activated it somebody was able to piggyback off the signal um, and hack into my Spotify account and they deleted all my playlists and now I'm uber paranoid about using it um, unless I'm in like the safety of my own home but even then I'd rather just put in headphones and listen to music myself that way I don't annoy my neighbors um, but I got myself a new phone. I got myself the Samsung Galaxy S10, which is the latest in the Samsung Galaxy family. Um, my whole family has Galaxy phones. Uh, my, uh, my mom and my brother have a Samsung Galaxy 8, and I think my dad has, sorry, I can't remember, but I've got the 10, um, which means I'm, I'm too better than, uh, the rest of my family. But it is pretty, pretty good phone. Now, many of the, the the fun little features that the phone has, like ultrasonic fingerprint readers and the, the what else does it have? It's mostly the fingerprint reader. Um, it boasts some other cool toys. Like, it's got three cameras on the back, each one serving a different purpose, which is pretty rad. I can film video at 960 frames per second, which means I can get some radical fucking slow-mo shit with this thing, which is super cool um i've i've been playing with that a ton uh the wide panoramic shots the clarity of the images it is it takes great fucking pictures outside of music that was the other thing i wanted my phone to be able to do because taking pictures with my phone is super important to me it is my my camera so i needed my phone to have a good fucking picture and it has 128 gigs like native memory inside and the fact that i got the phone unlocked means it's not loaded with a bunch of like T-Mobile bloatware, you know? It's just it's just the raw phone. Um, the phone's super fast. The battery life uh, lasts on average 20% longer than my previous phone. Like if, um, I'm sure the math doesn't equal out, but here's, here's how I'm gauging it. If my old phone was being used for Spotify throughout the whole day, by the end of like my eight hour work shift, I'd have like maybe 30% battery life left. Um, with my new phone, I have about 50% battery life left. So it's like an additional 20% of battery in this new phone that I didn't have in my old phone. So that's nice. Um, the screen is super cool. It's got like this kind of infinity edge where it just kind of curves and it's just gone. 
Uh, the whole phone appears to be made out of aluminum glass, which does make it a slippery son of a bitch. Um, I'll put it on like a flat table and I'll turn my back on it and I'll turn around and the phone is somehow on the floor. And I'm just like, how the fuck did you do that? It just slides right off of everything. But I got a case with a little kickstand, so it's got like rubber edges which holds the phone to flat surfaces. Um, the sound quality is really good. Um, I enjoy the fact that if somebody texts me, the, like the edges of the phone will kind of like light up blue and like do like this little like ring effect where it's like, bee doo you got a text message. Um, everything on the phone that has to do with sound, like, uh, text notifications and, uh, ringtones that are built in the phone are all, uh, space themed. It'll be like galaxy and nebula and, um, Uranus and Luna and stuff like that. And I love it because I love astronomy and stuff like that. So that's a lot of fun. Um, and it looks super cool. Outside of that, I haven't, there aren't many like phone specific gadgety fun things that I've been having, uh, that I've been like utilizing. Like my old phone, the LG G4 could, oh God, could, um, become a remote control for any TV anywhere easily. It was crazy how much control that phone gave me in the world. Like I could go to a bar and if I knew the make of the TV, a couple of switches and all of a sudden my phone could control that TV in the bar. And we did that once. We went to um we went to Ram, which was like a which is a huge sports bar. And they have like 18 TVs. And my uh my brother and I at the time had the same phone. So we both hacked in to uh their TVs and we were able to like mute it and put it in Spanish, <laughs> put subtitles on and freeze the frame so the audio would keep going but the image would stabilize and Oh my god. It was it was like it's like fucking watchdogs. Like you could just you could just live that life. You have control of any TV in the world with that phone, which is super broken. That like it's all it's a life hack that is absurd. So, yes, and it worked in like airports and shit. Fuck, it was crazy. It was super crazy. Cyber terrorism. <laughs> anyway, can't do that with the Galaxy though. Can't do that with a new phone. Uh, but I will take the longer battery life, the incredible interior memory the wonderful cameras and the fact that it's just a cool rad looking phone over the ability to control any TV in the world. Um, cause I still have the old phone and I suppose if I really wanted to, I could still control any TV in the world. So beauty of both worlds, but I wanted to talk about it a little bit because you know, new and exciting for me. I like new technology. Samsung makes a, makes a good phone. And after a week of using it, I am pretty, pretty chuffed, pretty pleased with it. I will say that one thing I wasn't expecting to have to adjust to, is the location of the punctuation in the keyboard. So like if I hold down a letter, it'll automatically write that piece of punctuation. Uh, but like the comma's in a different location and the exclamation point's in a different location. So instead of saying comma and exclamation point, I'm sending out semicolons and hashtags, which I have to adjust to, which is fine. Um, but it's a, it's a good phone. I can't, I have, I have nothing bad to say about it so far. I'm still getting used to it, but such is the thing with all new pieces of tech, so. Good job, Samsung. You made a good bit of bit of scratch. Anyway, let's move on to the next thing in the podcast. This week for Songs of the Week, I'm a dirty cheater because I took two songs from the same album because I'm a monster. Anyway, it's two Lion King songs. Who saw that coming? The first song on uh, on this that I want to talk about is an instrumental score song called This Land, Hans Zimmer. It just really, in my head, captures what makes the Lion King score just so incredible. These super peaceful, 
emotional bits and you can just picture in the movie what's happening when you hear it it's incredible and i love it and it's all fantastic so i picked that one and then of course uh can you feel the love tonight the elton john credits version which i actually prefer to the um to the one in the movie because there's some saxophone and who doesn't like elton john and this is the one i covered so let's take a quick listen to my rendition of can you feel the love tonight influenced by elton john there's a time for everyone if they only learn that the twisting kaleidoscope moves us all in turn there's a rhyme and reason to the wild outdoors when the heart of this star-crossed voyager beats in time with yours songs of the week will be included in every episode of the podcast from now until the end of the time and if you have a song that you would like to suggest for song of the week feel free to email me at goingcast@gmail.com or using the contact page and goingcast.com let's move on to the next thing in the podcast earlier this week i went and saw myself a concert that's right I do enjoy, like, to go out and enjoy the music of life and performing bands. And this particular concert was done by an up-and-coming guitarist known as Slash, who played with a band called Guns N' Roses a long time ago. This was the third time I'd seen Slash in concert, but it was the first time I'd ever seen him headline. First time I saw him, he opened for Ozzy Osbourne in 2010, off of Ozzy's new album Scream at the time. Uh, which is a good album and uh, he did a good job then he had like uh, Miles Kennedy singing his Slash of Soul album just came out Rock and Fucking Roll where it has like Ozzy's on it and Lemmy Kilmeister and Fergie for whatever fucking reason uh, but that's a pretty good album and then I saw Slash open for Aerosmith a couple of years later um, on the World on Fire tour which was a fucking great album it's like 17 songs on the World on Fire album it is that's a that's a piece of rock and roll majesty is what that is, and then uh, and this one which was um, driving rain I can't remember what this like living the dream I can't remember what this uh this tour was called but they were headlining opening band Dirty Honey um pretty pretty good the good old kind of classic rock sound bunch of young kids you can hear their EP on Spotify uh they did a pretty decent job and the beauty of an opening band is a they didn't suck and b they were over in half an hour. And then they got the fuck off the stage. And I'm like, good. That's that's how you do it. We're all here to see Slash. And then Slash came on with Miles Kennedy and the Conspirators. They're backing up band. Um, special note, um, Todd Kearns, the bassist, uh, is phenomenal. I just want to point that out. I'm a drummer. Uh, I've been a drummer for over a decade. And I loved the drummer for, for Slash. But the Todd Kearns, he uh, he embodies that like old school rock, rock life. And uh, he did a great job. Um, I've seen Slash twice before, but I've never seen Slash this happy. Um, I, I, I believe he has a, a new a new lady friend, a new uh, partner in life. 
And I think he is super happy because, like, his stage presence was rad. He's, like, jumping all over the place, and he's, like, bouncing around, and he's doing all sorts of fun shit, and he's moving around and stuff like that. And all the other times I've seen him, he's been, like, pretty stoic, you know, pretty stationary. And he would just kind of hang out and do his do and then leave. But this time around, he seemed to be really enjoying it. And I'm, I'm so happy for him because he's a wonderful musician. And I'm, I'm thrilled that he's happy. The concert was great. Uh, I think if I stayed to the very end, it probably would have been about two and a half hours. Which um, for for most bands would be, would be a bit. But they played 22 songs. Uh, we ended up staying for 19 songs. We basically left... Uh, during the song before the encore because uh, it was late and I had work the next day and stuff like that and uh, they played a bunch of songs that I fucking love and then I've gone back recently and listened to like all their albums and there were a couple of songs that I've forgotten about that they didn't play where I was like oh man I wish they played this but it was it was a great show there was this bit during one of the songs I can't remember which one where Slash basically goes off on a 12 minute guitar solo and you can kind of figure out because like the rest of the band was they moved to the back and Slash comes front and center and he just starts going and after the first like minute I was like oh this is this is this is this time and um, I love Slash and I loved the solo and it was all fantastic but 12 minutes of guitar soloing it got old <laughs> it was a little gratuitous um, and apparently during the song where we like left on he did it again another 12 minutes solo and I was just like wow um, the endurance for that fucking guy is incredible because uh, you know I play the guitar too and I cannot strum that quickly that continuously for a couple of minutes let alone 12 so just goes to show why he's he's one of the best you know he's been doing this for so long and it was a, it was a great show good old fashioned classic rock Miles Kennedy, local boy from Spokane, woot woot, uh, sings phenomenally. The backing band was incredible. Slash killed it. Was one hell of a performance. So if you ever have the opportunity to go see Slash live, highly recommend it. There's a couple Guns N' Roses songs that they do. They do a lot less Guns N' Roses songs now because Slash, as a solo artist, has a like four albums of like material now, which means you know we're gonna play our stuff. We're not gonna play Guns N' Roses anymore. We're gonna play Slash stuff. So. Don't go expecting them to crank out Sweet Child of Mine, because they're not going to do it. They're going to crank out uh, Beneath the Savage Sun and uh, Shadow Life and World on Fire. That's what they're going to play. They're going to play their stuff. And I'm like, more power to you. This shit's rad. But they did a wonderful job, and I just wanted to give a, give a mention that there was a great concert. Anyway, let's move on to the next thing in the podcast. Finally this week, I went and saw it. I went and saw The Lion King HD remake triple XL live action-y Favreau Magoo uh, money, money grab 20, 2019. Getting getting those bills um, at the uh, IMAX theater at the Pacific Science Center, which is one of the best IMAX theaters in the state, if not the best IMAX theater in the state. It's the biggest. It's the best. I love it. It's wonderful. So, <laughs> as as stated previously, The Lion King is my all-time favorite film. I absolutely adore that movie. I love the sequels. I love the music. I love the live-action play. I love it all. It's it's my jam. It's kind of it's kind of a big deal to me. So I wanted to go see the new remake of The Lion King to see how it holds up. The answer is it doesn't. 
Um, it doesn't compare. It's the it's the worst in out of all of them. I would rather see Lion King one and a half than see the live action version that I just sat through. So I'm gonna really talk about this because it's important to me. Visually, the movie is pretty fantastic. I know everybody's like, it's not really live action. It's just super HD animation, and I get it. But it's basically live action, all right? There, there was never, like, I know it's animated. You know it's animated. We all know it's like a virtual whole space that was computer generated. But it is so good looking that it doesn't matter it like it's fucking it basically is live action like none of the things look not real it all looked pretty fucking legitimate so there you go it visually it's fantastic the score is phenomenal because it's basically the same score as it was in the first one so that's all well and good and that's basically the last good thing i can say about the movie um the the casting overall is fine i understand entirely what they were going for it's a movie about lions in africa therefore they want their cast to be representative i get it but at the same time there wasn't much in the way of acting um say what you will about the original Matthew Broderick, fucking Jeremy Irons, that's a great actor. Um, but it's just like, there's a lot more going on in the original than there was going on in this one. A lot more emotion. Um, there's a lot more charm in the first one. But I think one of the biggest problems with the new movie is the inability for animals to represent human emotion. <laughs> that is the biggest problem with the film. Easily. Because... In the original movie, when Simba's, like, crying when Mufasa dies... Spoilers. Like, you can see the emotion. In this one, Simba looks exactly the same as he always does in every other shot because it's a fucking lion that can't show you any emotion. So, the the impact of that scene is just gone. It's just, it's just fucking gone. I understand wanting to come back and do a role. I get it. But James Earl Jones' performance in this film compared to what he did in the first film, it's, it's, you can't even compare it. He did not do as good of a job in this film as he did in the first one. In the first one, there was a lot more effort put into the line delivery and in terms of just his presence. When, when he did the original film, it wasn't just James Earl Jones reading lines. He, his voice was deeper, it was more regal, like he... He really went for like that kind of bigger personality of, of uh, Mufasa. And in this one, it's basically, I'm old James Earl Jones just reading some lines. It's, it's great that he's the voice, but it wasn't nearly as good as it was in the original. That's like, nothing in this movie was as good as it was in the original. Not a thing. Timon and Pumbaa were fine. They never made me laugh, but they were fine. Um... The hyenas were, again, fine. Once again, never made me laugh, but they were fine. The problem with the hyenas is that they have two of the funniest people on the planet, fucking Keegan-Michael Key and Eric Andre, playing the hyenas, and they never gave them a joke to say. 
there was there was no comedy in their in their lines they they didn't even try like there was just it wasn't even funny the hyenas were definitely designed to be more scary than they were funny in this film they were designed to be seen as more of a threat which if that's the case that's fine just don't hire notoriously funny people to play those roles and then not have them be funny it's like what's the point you had eric andre dude's hilarious and he wasn't funny so it's just like what are you doing same for john oliver except he has the opposite problem he tried too hard to be funny and failed miserably not nothing that he did made me laugh either so there was that there okay rafiki's probably the best character in this version of the film and i think a lot of that has to do with the fact that he's a primate which means he had more emotion visible on his face than any other character in the film um but the the whole uh scene where uh rafiki shows that mufasa lives inside of simba before the cloud shows up because the cloud effect in this movie sucked too um that was a that was a good sequence i enjoyed that there were a couple of things that were added to the film that i think does the movie an incredible disservice one of them is the beyonce song in the middle of this movie that sequence in the original is one of my favorites when simba's running across the desert and it's like in kind of slow-mo and the score is just going and it flows from one scene to the next and it makes a lot of sense in this movie he does that to that fucking spirit beyonce song which does not fit in the movie at all and it comes out of nowhere it's like beautiful score elton john song beautiful score hip-hop beyonce shit beautiful score and it's it's like it's super jarring and tonally confusing and it's trash and i hated it and i'm like this should have just been in the credits this shot should have remained the same they should not have fucked with this it was a shot for a shot remake of the first film there was very little in the way of alterations of classic shots like the intro is identical you can put them side by side and like the pan the camera pans and the animals on uh, on screen at the time of various shots it's all basically the same and that's probably the biggest problem is that you were never gonna be as good or even better than the original so by not even attempting to be be your own thing and do your own thing you forced everybody to go this is the same movie done worse you that's that's a mistake in my opinion like you weren't gonna be better we all knew everybody involved in this project knew you were not gonna make a better version of the lion king than the original but you tried and failed which is worse than trying to do something different and failing because then we could have been like well you know what it wasn't as good but it was different this wasn't as good and it was the same but bad that's that's the that's my like that's one of my big things with this movie is it's the same but worse and it could have been something different so i could go on for a fortnight ripping this movie to shreds because boy does it deserve it it's not good it isn't i fucking love the lion king i never want to see this version of this movie ever again like it wasn't there were so many things going on in this film of them trying to do certain things 
and I feel like they lost their way a little bit. Any new line that was added to the film in terms of dialogue was worse than what happened in the original. There were a lot of elements where scenes lose gravitas because they're talking to each other. Anytime the animals are talking, it's bad. It doesn't look good. It doesn't make sense. The animals are lifelike. It doesn't make sense for them to talk. You remember the, um, what is it, A Homeward Bound or The Incredible Journey? You had animals in that film, but they spoke like fucking telepathically. You never, they didn't have the animated mouth movements that like Air Bud has nowadays, like Air Pups, all that dumbass shit. Like, I honestly would have preferred that because then it would have been its own thing, but just like having the animation, it doesn't quite work out and I don't like it. I don't like it one bit. Oh, man. It's not good. Which is a bummer. But we can all take solace in the fact that, as with most remakes, the original is still alive and well. And I'm about to go watch it to cleanse myself of this film. And I want to thank you all for listening to the Going Up cast. I'm sorry to leave it on kind of a downer that the Lion King movie sucked, but honesty and journalism... Except that's not, I don't really do journalism. I try to make people happy, so. Yeah. Hope you all enjoyed this week anyway. I will see you all next week, which should be August, right? I'm pretty sure it's August next week. This time next week, is it August? No, not even close. Anyway, uh, two weeks, it'll be August. And um, I hope you all have a wonderful week. Stay cool out there. It's getting a little toasty. Get a little roasty toasty. And enjoy those chapters of Harry Potter. Have a wonderful week. See y'all next time.